I got some concerning news this morning, and it's not the fact the market's down a tiny bit. This isn't really concerning. In fact, it's basically flat right now. My portfolio's down 0.15%. The market's down just a hair. No, it wasn't that at all. The concerning news was a message one of my Discord members sent me. A list that Goldman Sachs put together on the biggest shorts in the market. This list here is the 50 stocks that represent the largest short positions by hedge funds. And it goes through a bunch of them. We have Nvidia, Amgen. We have a lot of the oil companies companies here, Pfizer, a lot of the big blue chip companies that you know. And many of them have a short position of anywhere from 1% to 2%. But there's one company that has a very big concentration of short selling. That company is Vici Properties. Vici has a short interest as a percentage of market cap of above 5%. It's one of the most concentrated short positions in the market with a total short position of approximately $1.6 billion for a company that only has a $34 billion market cap. So in this episode, we're gonna be discussing short selling. We're gonna be looking at my Vici position, which is one of my largest holdings and looking at what it could mean to have over 5% of the market cap currently has short interest. Now, outside of that, we have some other news to get to. Panera Bread is testing artificial intelligence in their drive-through lanes. I have a lot of thoughts about this because I'm invested in a lot of food companies, and I see AI as a big, big change in the food industry. We have fewer Americans saying they're living paycheck to paycheck as inflation begins to ease. We're gonna look at some of the inflation data, and I'll give you my updated predictions on inflation. And finally, we have another TikTok reaction to get to at the end of this video. This time I'm reacting to this car dealership, this video that they filmed where they asked their employees the amount they're paying for their auto loans. And this has gone viral because of the astronomical amount these employees are paying for their loans. I have a lot to share on this topic, so we'll discuss this one later. So as always, we have a lot to jump into in this episode. If you like the type of content, make sure to subscribe with the little bell icon. Now let's go ahead and jump into the passive income account. We have a lot of people that's been following this for years, but for those of you new, I show the progress of this portfolio week by week to show what happens with some level of transparency in this crazy market. And this has been a very difficult market to invest in. My gains at one point in this portfolio were nearing $100,000 and they got knocked back down to $40,000. That's where it currently sits. To give a little recent update, today we're down 0.18%. Over the past five days, we're down 2%. The past five days, it basically matches the S&P 500, which is down 1.9%. The past 30 days, we're down 0.6% which is $2,000. The past 30 days, the S&P 500 is down 1.7%. And then if we filter by the past 90 days, I am in the green by 4.41%. That is since May 31st, which the S&P 500 is currently down 1.91%. Then moving to the past one year, we're down 7%. And over the past year, the S&P 500 is down 10.4%. So during this sell-off, this portfolio has actually done really well. It's held up better than the S&P 500 and the QQQ, which does make sense because the companies that I'm invested in were not a lot of the hype stocks. It wasn't a lot of the high-flying tech companies. I have a mixture of a couple big tech companies and then a lot of conservative dividend-paying companies. So over the past year, I'm very happy with this portfolio and especially over the past three months. One thing that I check basically every day is called the Dip Finder. It's a tool that I developed as part of the Patreon membership, which looks at your companies compared against the 200-day simple moving average. Now, it shows how these companies are trading 
just today if they're in the green or the red. So you can see the mixture. Today's a little bit mixed, half the portfolio's in the green. But then we have these bar charts here. This is more important. This tells how your companies have been trading over the past 200 days and whether or not they have negative momentum and positive momentum. Around 40% of them have positive momentum. Around 60% are still in a dip. But you'll notice that one of them in particular is doing really well. This one right here that's up 14% above its 200-day moving average is Vici. Vici is a real estate investment trust that I currently have $42,000 invested in, 10,600 of that being gains. In fact, when I break down my holding value by size, we have Apple here, which is number one with 54,000. Then we have an ETF, SCHD, but then in third place is Vici, the $42,000 invested. This is a massive holding for me. It's a very important one in my portfolio. And it was concerning to find out that a lot of hedge funds have a short position on this company. I was sent this research that was made by Goldman Sachs that has 50 stocks that represent the largest short positions by hedge funds. So these are 50 companies that out of the entire market, thousands of companies, hedge funds have decided to short them to the biggest extent. The top one on the list is NVIDIA. But this is a bit deceiving because what they did was they organized this list by the total short value, not by the short interest as a percentage of their float cap. For example, NVIDIA is the most shorted company by hedge funds with a total short interest of $6.1 billion. So there's a lot of capital currently betting against NVIDIA, but NVIDIA is also a massive company. So in terms of actual percentage of a bet against NVIDIA, it's only 1%. That's not actually that bad. NVIDIA really doesn't have that much short interest as a percentage of their market cap against their company. There's other companies that have a bigger percentage. Amgen, for example, has 3%. Occidental Petroleum has 7%. That's another big concentrated short position against this company. But overall, most companies are in the range of 1% to 2%, a few of them above that. Another company that I hold that has a very high percentage of short positions is T. Rowe Price. And this one makes sense in my opinion. I can see why hedge funds are shorting this company. Their earnings are dropping. Their earnings are dropping precipitously as the market goes in decline and T. Rowe Price makes money by their asset center management. So this one actually has a case. I can understand why they're shorting this company. The fundamentals have gotten worse over the past three quarters. Another very recognizable company, that has a high short interest is Chipotle. This one has 4% of its market cap shorted. That's $1.9 billion of short interest. And in my opinion, I can again see the case for this one. Chipotle is a great company. It's fast growing. It has Bill Ackman owning a huge percentage of the company. But overall, the price of it, the valuation is a big concern. It's trading at a 61 trailing PE ratio and a 49 forward PE ratio. So I can see why hedge funds look at this company. They're probably filtering through ones that have very elevated valuations and they're hedging their position by shorting this company. At a 49 PE ratio, it makes almost every other company in the market look cheap. Now, continuing down this list, we have a couple other companies that they're shorting. HP is one of them, but most companies are at a one to 2%. That's the usual amount of short interest. Then we get down here to
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply towards the bottom, and we see a company in my portfolio. VG Properties has a $34 billion market cap, and currently it has a short interest of above 5%. That's $1.6 billion of short interest against this company. Now looking at this, I'm trying to figure out why hedge funds are shorting this company to such a huge extent. Again, if we can compare this to other ones, the only one that has more short interest, which is T. Rowe Price, this one again, I can sort of see. Unfortunately for T. Rowe Price, the EPS has gone down around 50% over the past three quarters. So maybe the hedge funds are just betting that this will continue. Because they have a fundamental outlook that companies that benefit from growth doing well are gonna suffer in the short term. That makes sense for T. Rowe Price. But with Vici, there is no such fundamental deterioration. This company has nothing going in the wrong direction. In fact, looking across all the fundamentals, all the related news, everything for Vici is headed in the right direction. Most recently, the company just announced a new deal with Rocky Gap Resort in Maryland for $260 million. And this deal was a very impressive deal for Vici. It closed at a 7.6 cap rate. That leaves a lot of margin of safety, and that's a very high cap rate, especially in this environment. Analysts of this deal have unanimously said that it was a good deal for both parties. They consider a win-win. Also, the most recent earnings report for Vici was both a beat on the bottom line and the top line, and they reaffirmed their guidance for the remainder of the year. The report could not have been any better. But again, we look at this list and see that Vici is one of the top shorted companies. There has to be a reason why. So if it's not because the fundamentals are deteriorating, it has to be because of a different reason. And my guess is valuation. Let's go ahead and look at how Vici has done compared to its competitors. What I did was I created a list called Vici Competitors on the Dip Finder to show how these companies have traded, which ones have done well, which ones have suffered. Off to the left, we have all the comparisons here. Vici is the one in question, then we have VNQ. This is the ETF that's an index, market cap weighted of all the different REITs. Then we have all the usual suspects here, Realty Income Corp. GLPI, which is gaming and leisure properties, Store Capital, American Tower Corp, Public Storage, Simon Property, and Digital Realty Trust. We have a mixture of companies that are similar to Vici. Some of them are in different categories, but the thing that they have in common is they're all REITs. They're all real estate companies. And when I look at this performance, I think this is the reason that Vici's being shorted. It simply outperformed all of its pairs. The companies that have traded down are like Simon Property and Digital Realty Trust, Store Capital. Even the entire index is down 7%. So in aggregate, all these companies are trading down and Vici is a standout going up 14%. So I think what this does is it creates a little bit of a bullseye on Vici. Hedge funds target anything that moves up too rapidly because they believe there might be a reversion to the mean. So now that I understand the likely reason they're doing it, it's simply just done well over the past couple of months and they're probably using it as a hedge, I still have concerns about the shorting. Now I'm not against shorting companies in general. I don't really consider it a bad thing. In fact, most data on the subject, most studies show that short selling does play an important role in price discovery. If you have an efficient market, it's good for people to be able to get long a company that they think has potential upside 
and for people to get short a company that they believe has potential downside. So I don't actually have a problem with short selling. I think that it's an important part of market efficiency, price discovery, and I think it should be something that's not looked at as such a negative thing. But I think it's also important for investors to understand the potential implications of short selling. If there's enough concentrated short selling on a single position, that trade in and of itself can affect the stock price negatively. In most cases, short selling does not have big implications on the share prices, but there are some situations where it can. Quote, with few available shares to trade, heightened short interest can cause significant downward pressure on a stock. If enough hedge funds pile into a short position on a stock with a low float, that can cause the stock price to go down, at least in the short term. Now that's important, especially for REITs, because the way that REITs grow is by selling shares. And when they're able to sell shares at a higher price, they get a lower cost of capital. So in a way, enough hedge funds pushing down the price of Vici could in a way affect the fundamentals of the company. The opposite is true if shorts have to cover their position in a stock with little float. So this can go both directions. We've obviously seen with the story of GameStop that short sellers can have their positions blown up and what's called a short squeeze. Meaning if the stock continues to trade upwards after they initiate a short position, they have to buy back the stock at a more expensive price, causing the stock to go up even further. So this is a double-edged sword. Now, as of right now, I'm happy to report that the short sellers are not getting their way. Vici continues to trend upwards. It's up 0.91% today on a red day when the S&P 500 and NASDAQ and the Dow Jones are still on the red. So right now, Vici's holding up well despite the fact that it has over 5% short interest. And in terms of what I plan on doing in response to this, is basically nothing. There is the chance that all this short selling could cause downward pressure on the stock, but when I look at the full year guidance, the latest earnings report, the deals that they're doing, and their fundamentals long-term, everything right now continues to look rock solid. And I'll continue to hold on to it, continue to invest in this company until that changes. But having said that, just be aware that many of the companies in the stock market have their prices manipulated and changed every single day by big hedge funds throwing around a lot of money either long companies or short companies that don't have long-term perspective. This is why you shouldn't use short-term fluctuations in stock price as an indicator of your investment success or failure. You should look at the overall fundamentals and the direction that the operations of the company is going, not the share price. Now moving on, we also have some news that Panera Bread is testing artificial intelligence technology in their drive-through lanes. And this is something that I've been anticipating for a while. I think this will be a game changer in the fast food industry. I do have some exposure to restaurants and quick service restaurants like Starbucks and Domino's. I'm invested most heavily in Texas Roadhouse, which doesn't really have drive-throughs. They're a sit-down restaurant, but they are implementing more and more technology with takeout ordering, with paying for your meal using tablets and so on. All of these food companies are looking for ways to streamline processes and increase margins. And this test right now from Panera Bread, I believe is where the entire industry is going. The big question that I've had for a while now is why fast food companies, when you go through their drive-through, why aren't you ordering through Siri or through Alexa or through Google Voice Automation? You should be able to just say the items you want. It should list it on a screen to make sure the computer got it right. And then you can go back and forth and discuss with the AI. And if you have really any big troubles, a human can come in and interject. 
but I think the first thing should be discussing it with a robot, because the AI could improve over time to get really good at taking people's orders. Well, this is exactly what these companies are starting to do. Starting Monday, drive through customers at two Panera Bread locations in upstate New York will have their orders taken by computers in a test of AI technology's accuracy and ability to decrease service times. Now, they say that this is being caused by more people moving to drive through since the pandemic, but I think this is a natural thing anyways. If you can avoid getting out of your car to get in your food and you can just drive through, pick it up at a window, that's obviously more convenient. So I see this as a natural progression in technology that's been slow to happen, but now it actually seems like it's happening. McDonald's says that they've been working to automate their drive-through lanes, announcing a partnership last year with IBM to work towards that goal. Yum Brands, Taco Bell and Restaurant Brands International, and Burger King have been building double drive-through lanes at some locations to allow customers to pick up their digital orders more quickly. We also have Chick-fil-A doing the same thing. They say fast casual chains like Shake Shack and Sweetgreen that once balked at drive-through lanes have been adding them. And you can say the same thing for Starbucks. Starbucks is making virtually every new location have a drive-through. They consider it a very important part of their business now. Now they aren't partnering with Apple or Google or Amazon on this case. They say Panera Bread is using Open City's voice ordering technology called Tori. The startup has raised 6.82 million from private investors giving the company a valuation of $26.82 million according to PitchBook. So far, its technology is being used by more than a dozen restaurants, including at least one Popeye's location. So this new company, Open City, they're making something called Tori, which is basically Siri for restaurant ordering. They say at Panera, the customers will interact with Tori as they pull up at the drive-thru speaker, and then the employees will be on standby to take payment when that happens. This is a natural progression that I see happening. For sit-down restaurants, people are gonna continue to want to have the human interaction and have a server fill up their drinks and bring them their food. But for these type of quick service restaurants, these type of fast food places, people don't want that human interaction. They wanna get their food, they wanna get the correct order, and they wanna have a very consistent experience every single time. And there's no better consistency than through automation with robots. So I see more and more of these quick service restaurants getting automated over time. I think both for the food ordering process, like we're seeing here, and the food making process. And if you really back up for a minute and think about the implications of this automation and this advancement, out of all the industries that could really benefit from streamlining their processes, food and especially quick service restaurants with drive-throughs are one of the ones that I think will be the most benefited by AI. If you consider what a Starbucks is or what a McDonald's is, they're basically a square box, a square box on a given part of a city, usually in a corner or a high traffic area. People line up their vehicles to get one thing, a quick, efficient, and correct order. That's what they're looking for. If you could envision this as just a box that gets them their food quickly, efficiently, and well-priced, they'll have repeat business, residual customers doing this as part of their daily process. And the way that restaurants benefit the most is by cutting down on labor costs, the biggest thing that attributes to their low margins. If they automate away the people taking the orders and they automate away most of the people preparing the food, they could only require a couple employees working at these locations just to manage some of the day-to-day -day unique things or the items that are too difficult for a robot to prepare. In a way, what quick service restaurants are really transitioning to, as I see it, 
is a vending machine for more complex foods. We already have vending machines for simple snacks and sodas. Now we're going to have them for lattes and entire meals, for people's Happy Meals, for people's Chipotle burrito. We're going to have this be all automated in the future. And what that means for companies like Starbucks and Domino's in the long term, I believe, is bigger margins. If less of their companies reliant on humans, they're able to automate more of the processes, then that should increase their margins over time. Now, moving on, we have another article from CNBC saying that fewer Americans say they are living paycheck to paycheck, which makes sense. Most people are employed. They shouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck. That shouldn't be big news. But I think the more important part of this article is that it highlights what's going on with inflation. And I think the news here is actually positive. Now, before we jump into this inflation news, I have to give a quick shout out for FTX US. They finally have their stock brokerage out of beta. So it's released fully. If you're in the US, you can sign up now using one of the links in the pin comment below. I have my portfolio here. I've been adding to it, buying more into Adobe and Amazon. They offer a system where it's very simple. You can buy and sell using fractional shares anytime the market's open. There's no payment for order flow. We've actually had a number of people sign up and try this out, and so far the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And if you do want to try it out, make sure to use the refer code Carlson, my last name. That'll credit you $10 to your portfolio once you do a $100 trade. So try that out. You'll get credited $10 and let me know what you think. Now, I know this isn't as popular to highlight amongst an ocean of clickbait-worthy videos of open mouth screaming and flames in the background, but there is some positive news going on right now. Fewer Americans say they are living paycheck to paycheck, which is objectively a good thing. It's good that Americans aren't over-levered and they actually have some money in the bank for a change. The problem that arises with this news is that it can spur inflation. That's the downside of having a lot of people with a lot of money. But the other positive news here is that inflation is beginning to ease. And this is something that has a lot of different opinions on it, but the data is pretty clear so far. I said a couple months ago that I thought inflation was peaking. This was based off a lot of different reports that I read of commodity prices coming down, oil prices coming down, and inventories building up in retailers like Target and other comparable ones. The combination of excess retail supply and commodity prices going down, in my opinion, just makes me believe that inflation is going to come down. But with my prediction, it's hard to nail the exact top. And a lot of this data is backwards looking. July's Consumer Price Index report finally showed that prices consumers pay for a variety of goods and services started to ease after gas prices fell below $4 for the first time since March and are now down to $3.85. Gas prices have this huge overhang on every other cost because when gas prices go higher, the cost of basically everything else goes higher. Transporting goods goes higher. Buying things on Amazon is more expensive. Doing virtually anything that requires energy becomes more expensive. So gas prices coming down in price has a huge effect on overall inflation. Real inflation adjusted average hourly earnings for the month rose 0.5%. So over the past month, real wages have actually outpaced the rate of inflation. Now I realize there's a lot of other people on the other side of this trade that believe inflation is going to continue out of control and get higher and higher. I think there's a case for that. That could certainly happen, but I still hold the view that inflation is overall going to ease by the end of the year. That's what I think will happen, but we'll have to wait to find out. Now, moving on, we have another viral TikTok to react to. This one has actually received tens of millions of views all across social media. And what this is, is a guy going around with a camera at a car dealership, asking them what cars they have and what their payment is. And let's go ahead and just listen to some of them respond here. Hey, sir, what is your car payment? 
1325. And what kind of vehicle is that? It's a 22 Ford Raptor. Yes, you heard that right. His car payment is 1325. Now he doesn't say the duration of it. So maybe he could be paying this on a very aggressive schedule, paying ahead to pay less interest. But there's something about it that makes me think that's not the case. I think this is just a normal car payment because of the vehicle that he purchased. Ford Raptors are an awesome looking vehicle. I think they're really cool looking, but I don't own one because they cost 80 to 100,000. And like you're seeing here, that equates to a monthly payment of around $1,300. Now I'll just mention as a little bit of a side note here, my home payment is 1350. That's how much I'm paying for my home that I bought back in 2017. He's paying almost as much a month for his vehicle. Okay, you have another payment? I do actually, my wife's, hers is a thousand. It's a 22 Ford Expedition. He has two of them. He has a wife that has another $1,000 monthly payment for her vehicle. Now this one's not quite as cool as the Raptor, but it's still a nice vehicle. This is a $50,000 vehicle if you're buying it new, which I assume he's doing. A $1,000 monthly payment for his wife's vehicle and a $1,325 payment for his vehicle. And the only way that he's likely able to continue paying for these vehicles is by convincing other people to make similarly poor financial decisions. But this continues on. Hey ma'am. What is your car payment? 1386. And what kind of car requires a $1386 payment? A 2022 Grand Wagoneer Series 3. She says she owns a Grand Wagoneer Series 3. This is another very nice vehicle. The low end being around $90,000 new, usually around $100,000 to $110,000. And her payment is $1,386. She pays more for her Grand Wagoneer than I pay on a monthly basis for my home. Moving on, we have the next employee here. I think this is a mixture of the loan officers and the different salesmen. But let's go ahead and see what cars he has. Maybe he's the responsible one. Maybe he's the frugal one. Maybe he'll say that I own a used Honda Civic that's 10 years old. It gets the job done. And I put that money in the bank. I invest it so that I don't have to be sitting at this desk in 20 years. Maybe that's what this guy's going to say. Let's go ahead and see. What is your car payment? I got a couple of them, but the first one's 1445. What kind of car is that? 1445. Do these guys own the dealership? Are they all part owner and a chain of dealerships? Or are they just employees working at this dealership? That's a new GMC Sierra 2500 Denali. He says he bought this thing new and they run around 70,000 plus dollars. It looks like this massive truck that you'd need if you're a construction worker or working on a farm or doing some type of backbreaking labor. But I'm going to make the assumption that's not really what he's using it for. He's probably driving to work and back with it, paying an excessive amount for gas on top of this monthly payment. Uh, it's a wide body CTSV, that's 1161. So he has two payments on his cars that he makes every month now, a combined total of $2,606. Now just out of interest, I threw his combined total car payments of 2,606 per month into a compound interest calculator, assuming he made 10% per year in the market to see how much money that would be after 10 years. So the current principal is only one month's worth of payment, $2,606. The annual growth of money that you're adding is 12 months worth of car payments or $31,272. That's how much he's paying to his vehicles every single year. If we assume that we invest this for 10 years and we have an interest rate of 10%, the combined total is almost 555,000. 
and that is after only 10 years. After 20 years, it's nearly $2 million. That's just his car payments. This is how much, in essence, they're potentially costing him down the road. So when I look at this, I don't really view this as him owning these vehicles. I see these vehicles as owning his future, robbing him from a retirement that he could have. $2 million in 20 years, or $500,000 in 10 years. And 10 years goes by pretty quick. What's your car payment? And what kind of car are you driving? Look at that number right there. <laughs> this must be like the owner or the big manager of the dealership. And he shows a $1,516 car payment. And this isn't made up. He actually has it printed out on a sheet. He says he's about to make this payment. And I have no reason not to believe him. Now, there's obviously a lot that could be said in response to this. There's actually even some conspiracy theories or theories on why they would film this. One of them that I actually tend to believe, which is this is an attempt from this car dealership to normalize high payments. They're saying, hey, look at me, look at me. I have a high payment. I have this incredibly high payment. You can have one too. It's funny, you can laugh about it. It's not gonna destroy your future finances. It's just something everyday people do. So get on board, come to our dealership and get yourself a nice $1,500 vehicle payment and slap on two of them if you really wanna have fun. But what I'll say on this is unless you already have retirement, unless you already have millions stocked away, paying this much for a car on a monthly basis is financially destructive. It will rob you of your retirement. Nobody should be doing it. And this type of nonsense should not be normalized. This should be looked at, it should be scoffed at, it should be mocked online with lots of people laughing at it because of how ridiculous these car payments are. Paying this much for a car is not only laughable, but it's also dangerous. It should be looked at as a threat to your financial health. That's all for this episode. I'll see you in the next one.